Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 64. Today, we're talking about 0.107. We're talking about Lightify saying goodbye. And we're saying hey to Quentin. Hello there. Hello. And as usual, we've got Phil. Hey, Phil. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, I should say. That's right, depending on wherever you are. I guess today on this uh, on this episode, we got one of everything, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have every time zone covered. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or YAML. But let's uh, let's let's get right into it. <laughs> You know, we got uh, we got messaged earlier this week saying, "Hey, Rohan, Phil, have a look at this. It's kind of interesting." So, Lifei, who's uh, I guess it's kind of a spinoff by by Osram. It's one of their brands. They're closing their cloud servers in August 2021. So, what that means is, if you use Lifei, you're not going to have those capabilities. Now, this is a Zigbee-based product. So there's the ability to have some kind of local control, but unfortunately, a lot of the a uh, lot of the control it sounds like will be going away with the cloud servers. Unfortunately, so yeah, I have I have some Lightify bulbs and I just use them with the Hue Hub. Um, they didn't work very well actually. I now use them just straight through Home Assistant, but for simple yeah. stuff, they all work fine. I don't think I've ever used the cloud. Yeah, so on off that kind of stuff should should work right um i'm now i'm not i'm not sure what kind of more advanced functionality there is uh quentin do you know since you use it no i i got a few of them because um fairly early on when hugh didn't have a very wide range of bulbs you know i wanted Mm -hmm. some candle bulbs and a couple of things like that and lightify um did those before hugh did but they weren't so good frankly when it came to dimming them down to very low levels and so on so i have a Mm -hmm. few that i use around the house now but um I'm not doing anything fancy with them. I'm basically turning them on and off. Right, right, right. I have the, so I have a whole bunch of the Lightify downlights, the MR16 downlights, and I actually got a Lightify gateway because I couldn't pair them with the Hue Hub. So it was, yeah, I was pretty interested when they said that they're actually going to close the gateway down. And I took a look at what functionalities they're actually going to be removing as of next year and they're not even going to be providing firmware updates to the light bulbs anymore so even if you have a philips hue hub or whatever there's not going to be any uh, firmware updates to the light bulbs themselves so that's a bit of a bummer so i guess if you have any lightify light bulbs you should get yourself a lightify gateway probably on the cheap now and do the firmware upgrades right up until they close it down if you want to get the the latest and greatest. There's also um, a few other weird things that will just stop working. So obviously the Google Home and Amazon Echo will stop working, but you won't be able to add any smart plugs anymore. Um, So if you have a Lightify gateway, you can still use it locally, but you won't be able to add some products. You won't be able to add smart switches you won't be even able to delete them from the system for whatever reason. Uh, and maybe it's all tied to a cloud account. You can't delete favorites. You can't delete or create, you know, groups and, and all that. So 
a lot of it's going to be a very restricted device come next year so i would encourage anyone to just get off that ecosystem as quick as you can i think decons and, and zigbee to mqtt are probably your best open bet yeah yeah I, I drive mine through ZHA at the moment, and I, um, as I say, I've only got a couple of the lights, so I haven't played with any of the other bits of the ecosystem. Are they easy to pair up? Do you know are they, the the smart plugs and things? On ZHA, it's fairly simple. Yeah, I think I'm using Decons, and I've got all the Lightify light bulbs now running through that without any problem. Yeah, and I mean, as uh, as that goes on, uh, Philips Hue also continues. <laughs> deprecating their version one hub if you want to keep using the v1 bridge you'll basically need to download another hue app which is meant to work with that bridge but but Mm. again phil do we know if that's that's something if is that a long-term solution or you know are you going to be out of luck when yeah i think you they're going to offer the v1 app and then that's it. They're not going to update that V1 app moving forward. So right. if new versions of iOS, Android come along, eventually they're just going to say it's a legacy product. We're not supporting it anymore. Good luck sort of thing. So Right, right, right. So you might need to have a device on like iOS 12 or something like that yeah. when iOS like, you know, 30 is out, right? So. Exactly. Okay. Not not an ideal okay. solution, and that's even if it's still available in those app stores as well. Right, right, exactly. And which they might take it out, or there, there's a whole bunch of possibilities there, right? Or you might on the Android world, you might have to download and archive that APK somewhere, yeah, or exactly, something like that. Which is, I mean, it's frustrating, right? But at least they're not killing the product altogether. Like they're they're it's not the hue is shutting down. It's just that V one is yeah stopping. Not not that that's any you know consultants if you're if you've paid for that already, right? But particularly so. if you've got hundred light bulbs that you need to relink, right? Yeah. Yeah. Relinking them is a pain. On the other hand, if you've got a hundred light bulbs, you've spent so much on those light bulbs that the cost of a new hub is uh is pretty sm- I think these are like yeah. forty pounds here. What's that? Fifty, sixty dollars. So it's it, yeah. you know, it's it's not insignificant, but it's probably not much more than a light bulb or two. So and they are yeah. pretty old now, the V one hubs. So yeah. The the labor of repairing is probably more of a hassle. Though actually I think when I upgraded mine for, which was quite a while ago, I think the pairings were carried across automatically. Really? Interesting. I th- I think there was an upgrade your hub thing in the app or something like that. My memory may be wrong, but I think it wasn't it wasn't painful. Okay. Well, I mean that's something. Of course, I didn't have nearly so many lights then. <laughs> on some positive news, uh, Nabucasa Cloud on the other side of the spectrum adds five new data centers, which is great. So essentially, what that translates to for users is that you're reducing latency. Uh, closer data center means less time your packet has to travel and so on and so forth. Basically, the faster you press a button, the fa- uh, or sorry, basically, if you go to a closer data center, when you click a button, it just translates to a light turning on or whatever's that much faster, right? Um, I don't know for you guys, but I've noticed like loading up the Home Assistant app and, and waiting to connect through Nebucasa. For me being in Australia, away from all those data centers, it, it does add, you know, one to five seconds of a, a delay. Have you guys noticed that And on your side? No. <laughs> no? Okay, it just sucks to be me. Uh, no, but I think even though I've got the Nabucasa account, yeah, I, I've got the Nabucasa account, but I I normally just connect direct. I think the URL mm. I normally use doesn't well, I'm yeah. particularly yeah. excited for this update because I think having closer data centers will just make it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, that's it. And, and, and Phil, to your point, there's, there's no actual effort 
required from your side. Uh, so on the next reboot, basically, it'll go mm-hmm. out and it'll say, hey, this is my closest one and go uh, connect to that one. Yeah. So. so I think it'll be backwards compatible even if you don't upgrade your home assistant to the latest and greatest release. As long as you, as soon as you try and connect to the uh, Nabucasa cloud, I could be wrong here, and, and I'm sure Polis and Pascal will correct yeah, me. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see why there's there should be a correlation, especially mm. if they use something like DNS or whatever. It should be, you know, whatever's the quickest. So yeah. again, I, I don't, I don't know that for sure, but so zero point one oh seven is here, and I think Rohan, we were discussing this offline earlier in the week. One of the most exciting yeah. features that I think is coming out on the way to that version one release we keep talking about this version one release coming up and and this is one of those features that i think is finally to me i can actually see a great use case and it's multiple lovelace dashboards so now you can have you know multiple different views in lovelace you can have different tabs and you can save them for different user levels you can restrict them so only admins can access certain views it's awesome so I'm already planning to have a tablet view, an admin view, maybe a guest view. What do you guys think of this? Like, right. To me, I'm really excited. Yeah, I think I think this is great. I, I have a little tablet in my mm. kitchen, which I run HA Dashboard on, and that you know that mm. works very nicely for me. I've never yet felt the urge to to switch it over to anything else, but I keep looking. And one of the things you know I have thought would be if if it were easy to res- do a more restricted one in Loveless, that this mm. would be worth it trying anyway. So uh, yeah, I'm certainly going to give this a go. And I suspect my wife would like uh, you know to the extent she ever uses any of this, she'd probably like a simpler <laughs> one, which just turns on and off the stuff that she's interested in. So yeah, um, yeah. even just through a browser. You know. At first, I mean, Phil, you know this. I mean, when we were chatting, I was like, okay, cool. What's the point? But but <laughs> you, you actually brought up a great point, right? Is when you need these different different UIs for either where there's different folks, so on and so forth. For me personally, I don't see a huge requirement for it just because let's call it 95% of what I do, if not more, is based on voice, right? Yes, where yes. I use my Amazon Echoes or Google Homes to say, hey, turn on the lights or turn off the lights. And everything else is kind of just... It just happens, right? It's, mm. it's automation. Will I use it? Um, maybe, maybe. I don't think. I don't think. You know, right now, I don't know that I have a requirement for it. But I do. But if if I were to have tablets and things like that, I think I think this is definitely a very valid use case, right? Yeah. And and in my case, I don't today. What about you, Phil? Do you do you have a tablet of any sort? I have two currently, and I've got a spare one in the cupboard, ready to go when I have a, another use case. Uh, so I've got one in the bedroom, one in the kitchen, yeah. and right now they're just running the same Lovelace UI. So it's, it's basically God mode, right? The same that I have on my computer, but now I could potentially yeah. have, you know, yeah. the one in the kitchen can't, you know, control things in the bedroom because now I'll have different Lovelace views so that, you know, they can't control, you know, the lights in the bedroom or they can't turn the TV off and on from the kitchen and just, you know, just, I'm, I guess I'm not, I've got people obviously I trust in the home, but I think for people with kids, you know, maybe they want to be able to offer kids a nice lovelace view that they can control. You know, I think we had James on last episode who had his daughter that had some lights in her bedroom. You know, she could only have a restricted view to her bedroom and not be able to change, you know, the parents' bedroom and all that. And now this is possible thanks to those restrictions. Yeah, and I guess my tablet's quite small. 
It's not, you know, it's not like my right. iPad or it's not, you know, certainly not like, you know, the screen I sit in front of. So I would want to configure things differently. And HA dashboard works very well for this because it mm. gives you nice sort of finger sized buttons for a sort of touch screen rather than a, a more traditional kind mm -hmm. of web GUI. I'd, and I haven't played with, you know, configuring Loveless for that mode, but I, I can see how I'd want a different layout for an eight inch tablet from what I'd want for, for other devices I use. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, even if, so I'll, I'll, another example is something like, uh, so we had Isabella on in episode 25, and she's, you know, she created this awesome UI uh, after that episode that kind of mimics the whole Google Home uh, mm. interface and actually looks really nice, right? But mm. at the same time, that may not oh, yeah. translate well to a the, the web version of, uh, of her instance, right? So tablet might look really nice. Uh, and and I'm I'm not sure if this is the case though. So is it? Don't kill me if if, if I'm wrong <laughs> on that one. Uh, but but it, it's it's you know there's a great use case there, right? Where you can have these different dashboards for different uh, devices or purposes or whatever, just so it looks nice for your own use. So right. um, so also something cool. So there's a new card picker with a, with a live preview. So when you're playing around in the interface and you're editing the uh, Lovelace UI, you actually get to see this preview of the card. Um, so it says, hey, this is what it looks like, and kind of this is similar to what you're going to see, right, based on your data. I mean, I, I haven't I haven't upgraded uh, just yet, so I, I haven't actually seen it, but I, it actually looks kind of cool. This is fantastic for people that don't want to create their UI in YAML. They want to just be able to use uh, yeah. what you see is what you get editor, and the work done on this feature alone, I think, really pushes forward that ease of use for non-technical people so there's some great work gone into that one yeah and 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 i'm not sure exactly who who is behind these ones but it's, it sounds like there's more emphasis being put on that ui mm -hmm. and uh getting the ui to be more friendly basically yeah. right so i think uh i think who's ever driving that priority thank you um and, and i think i think that's a huge you know that that's to me that's probably one of the biggest uh things that's stopping that whole 1.0 uh release right so i'm glad that that's happening and rohan i'm sure this is not going to be any surprise to you but those people that you want to thank is zach and thomas think, yeah that actually doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> they are masters they've done so much good work with the ui and front end on home assistant so it's good to see them back and and getting some really cool stuff out. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, all right. Something that I am really uh, happy to see is that data tables are so much faster now in this new release. So if you use the states developer tools a lot and you need to go in and, and find an entity and manually turn it off and on, if you use it on a phone or on a computer and you needed to filter an entity, it was painfully slow, especially when you've got a lot of entities like I do. It is now mm -hmm. super fast on everything, and I'm so glad they've done it, especially when, I don't know, like you want the light, like you need to turn off an automation if the light's turning on, and you need to do it really fast, and of course, you rip out the phone because it's in your pocket, and then it takes ages for that table to load. Um, yeah, this is it's just little things like this that make it a whole lot better for me. Uh, HomeKit's getting some love as well. Um, so it's got a couple of new features. So there's now initial basic support for HomeKit enabled TVs uh, and their occupancy sensors that are uh, that are HomeKit enabled. So that's kind of cool. Really, like HomeKit just seems to be, I, I love that usually when I think of Apple, it's always, you know, the locked down walled garden, that's it. You won't be able to get anything out of it. But 
the guys working on this HomeKit integration have been able to integrate it so nicely into Home Assistant and it's all yeah. local, right? Like it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's actually one of the cooler things about HomeKit is that it's not actually cloud, uh, which you would think Apple would, you know, push you towards more of that mm. iCloud kind of world. All the control is local. So meaning it's actually snappy and it is still on-premise. And, and for the most part, HomeKit devices aren't exclusively HomeKit, right? If they're HomeKit, yeah. then they're probably also Wi-Fi, so on and so forth. They tried to do that whole, you need to get a special HomeKit chip enabled. That's why the originally the Philips Hue version 2 hub came out, and that was the HomeKit right. enabled hub, because Apple said, if you want to be HomeKit enabled, you have to have our approved hardware. And then, of course, no manufacturer is going to go out and redo their whole product line just to be HomeKit enabled. So then Apple backtracked, no. and now they've got this software certification, which has made HomeKit explode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a security thing, wasn't it, originally? And I think they wanted, I don't know, maybe it was just that they yeah. wanted profit from, yeah, that's right. It may, it may have been. They've discovered you can do this in software as well. I've got some window blinds, which I had to, what we could talk about later, I had to jump through quite a lot of hoops to get the um, the old hub that controls them um, to talk to Home Assistant. And they've got a new hub now. This is a Rollies hub. And the new one is HomeKit compatible and i am wondering whether mm. i should just get the new hub whether i don't know whether home assistant will do home kit I'm control sure window it's not long until yet, it but, happens. Um, but that may well be an easier way to go than yeah. my custom system yeah exactly so yeah. that's uh it's, it's kind of kind of neat so all right uh heaps of breaking changes as of course these releases are much bigger now and there's a whole bunch of breaking changes coming with them but one thing that i actually got and i mentioned before i got stuck up on is that because of the states ui has now been removed there's a whole bunch of group and automation functionalities that have been removed as of this release. So, uh, the for example, if you've got set visibility in, say, visible true or visible false in your groups file, your groups.yaml file, that's actually going to cause a whole lot of headaches. And surprisingly, I didn't get pushed into safe mode. I just ended up having my groups were disabled and because groups weren't available it actually caused a whole lot of other uh components not to load so my lights didn't load my fans didn't load i think there was some errors about vacuum cleaners i don't have a vacuum cleaner but because the groups component failed they all failed and it just yeah completely stuffed up everything and it didn't push me into safe mode which was i was actually surprised about so you will have to go in um i had to do group visibility uh, group control. So there was in the old states UI, you could turn off groups having the master control for all the devices. And then in automations, there is that set visibility flag. So yeah, just this is going to be a big, if you are a legacy home resistant user that was using the old states UI at some point in time, this is something that you should probably watch out for before upgrading. Right. And some other cool noteworthy updates that are in this release. Uh, for those using the uh, ZHA component, so Quinton, listen up. The lights now support flashing, and this is something that I really love. I've loved since the Philips Hue hub uh, moved over. I was excited when ZBT MQTT finally implemented it because I use it for my Amazon Echo timers. So when an Echo timer is complete, it will mm. go in and it will tell all the Zigbee lights to flash. So what it'll do is it will just flash the lights, but because it's locally done on the bulb, 
Home Assistant just needs to send out one command. It doesn't have to turn off and on, off and on, and get a delay. So really cool to see that uh, implemented in ZHA as well. That's neat. Also, there's SMS support now for Pushbullet. So uh, you can actually use Pushbullet to send you text messages, which is kind of neat. I might yeah. actually look at that. There, there are so many ways you can send notifications now, aren't there? I mean, I don't know what you guys use. I, I tend to just use the Home Assistant mm. app on iOS, and I get yep. most Me of too. my notifications just from that. But do you you can you you've got dozens of ways you could be notified yeah yeah i I did the exact same the amazon echo can now start and stop timers so this will be cool if you want to use home assistant to control uh, the timer so a lot of people will use timers when they want to uh, delay lights turning off or on they can now be exposed to the amazon echo as another device that can be turned off and on so you might be able to say you know to your amazon echo turn off the living room lights timer and it'll turn it off or delay it or restart it. There is, if you're using the uh, US version of the Amazon Echo, if you've got your language set to US English, I think there is also some other timers actually natively supported on the Echo. So you might be able to do some more advanced stuff as well, but that's not available for all regions. But this new one, just using the the power turn on, turn off state, can be used anywhere. That's kind of interesting. One of the things I was going to ask you guys about was, you know, um, motion sensors in rooms. So I often, a lot of my mm-hmm. rooms, you walk into and the lights go on, mm-hmm. and when it thinks there's no motion, the lights go off. And it's not always yeah. very, you know, sometimes I sit too still. Or yeah. particularly if I'm watching a movie and the fire's going in, the, you know, in the, the, in, in, and uh, it's like, you, you have to, you know, it's plunged into darkness and you, you have to kind of wave it here. Um, so sometimes you can get around that if you've got another sensor that, you know, can detect that you're sitting on your office chair or something. And so you say, you know, only turn the lights off if the office chair isn't occupied or something. But um, but I don't have that in the sitting room when I'm watching movies so much. Or um, Actually, no, I do for that, but I don't have for some other things. And I wonder whether, actually, if you could implement those as timers and then you could say, actually, oh, well, it's happened once, but turn off that timer now. I wonder if that would be... Not sure if that's a good use for it because you you'd have to know the time is running. Mm. You have to know, yeah, exactly. Um, so you almost want it to announce, "Oh, I've detected motion. I've turned on the lights, and the timer called what is now running." And then you can say, "Turn off that timer." If it uh, isn't. that's going to get annoying very quickly. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do the first two times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to yeah. quickly remove that. Yeah, yeah, not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, before we get to you, Mr. Quinton, Rohan, I want to grill you about one of your new things that you're talking to me about. You, del- you you told me you got a new lock. It's a smart lock. And I was like, all right, I don't, I didn't want to bug you too much about it because I wanted to basically yeah. grill you in, in public Yeah, about of course. It. <laughs> what better way is there? Exactly, right? Tell me, what, tell everyone what, what sort of lock you got. <laughs> I got I got the uh, I got the Wiser Kivo. So it's the same as a Quickset Kivo, or I think they have one other brand that they market it as. Uh, in Canada, it's Wiser. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got I got that. It's a it's a Bluetooth lock. Actually, one of the reasons I chose it is because I guess whoever made my door didn't do a great job. <laughs> so what happens is that the the so I have I have a window in my door as well, uh, mm-hmm. or, or a glass in my a glass pane in my door. And that pane of glass is actually too close to the actual hole for the lock. Um, oh, so several right. years ago, I got an August just to just to play with it. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I had to return it because the the August mechanism itself was too big, 
where it was actually sitting on, uh, it wasn't sitting flush against the door. It was actually sitting against the frame of the glass mm-hmm. pane that they had put in. Uh, and then I wasn't going to sit there just to, just to make it work. I wasn't going to sit there and cut out that frame and, you know, so on and so forth. It's, it's not worth it. It's just, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably end up either breaking something or, or losing some efficiency in, in the insulation that, that it provides and such as well. So, um, you know, I decided I was waiting for the Kivo, uh, version two locks to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the V1s, uh, apparently, and, and I, I'm, I'm no lock expert, but, uh, from everything I'd read, the version ones actually had an issue where they, they could be bumped very easily. Yeah. That's what I was reading. And that's why I was a bit concerned for you. Mm. Yeah. So you would think that uh, a lock manufacturer would have that part figured out yet, but <laughs> apparently they didn't. Um, so, so there, I, I guess it was also time to market, right? Hey, how can I quickly get something called smart out to the market mm. so on and so forth? So I did get this Kivo lock. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are others nowadays that are slimmer. Um, uh, but this is the one, this is one that's readily available for me. And, you know, I just popped by Home Depot and grabbed it. And if in the event that it didn't fit, because this, this was a concern for me, it's not necessarily a concern for a lot of people. But if it didn't fit, I did have that ability. And I did check with the, the associate at Home Depot going, hey, listen, I'm going to buy this, but I don't actually know if it'll work. And they're like, yeah, just bring it back. I'm like, okay, okay. cool. So g- give me a bit of security around around that, right? I don't want to just spend like 200, 250 bucks uh, and be like, well, I'm now stuck with this door hardware. Right, right, exactly. That I that I can't, you know, return or, or what have you. So, um uh, it, unfortunately, it doesn't integrate natively with uh, Home Assistant. I have seen some uh, where people have actually made uh, custom integrations, but I, I don't right. have the hub yet, so I haven't I haven't played with that. Yeah, so so I was that's that were going to be my questions because I, I looked at this for potentially replacing uh, one of the locks on my doors here, even though I'm renting. It did seem the closest size that I could just replace that lock with and then put the original one back in when I leave. Um, yeah, but being Bluetooth, that really concerns me. One, of course, do you still have to carry keys around in case, for whatever reason, the Bluetooth isn't working, or you you come home drunk and your phone's battery's dead? Like, <laughs> are they concerns that you you've got? Yeah. So for me personally, yes, and the reason is because I have one door in and out of my house. Yeah. So even even though it is a house and a lot most homes um in in my neighborhood have like a second door through the garage or whatever. Right. I don't. My the the, the people that lived in this house before me, I guess they went out of their way. This this is actually a really huge <laughs> pet peeve of mine. So I may I may go off on a rant and, and I apologize if the people that lived in my house are listening to this podcast <laughs> because I don't know what you're thinking. They they paid extra money to not have a door in the in the garage and 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 I've always grown up. So in the, in the house I lived in with my family growing up, we always had that. So I always had that, you know, security where okay, you know, let's say I break the key in the lock or something like that, which yeah. can happen when it's minus forty outside. Of course, yeah. It, it, it's I have that. I have the ability to actually just be like, okay, well, I'll just go in the other door for now and then fix this later. I don't have that comfort now, and and for whatever reason, that's actually a huge point of paranoia for me. So. Yeah, I, I I do have some concerns. So I I do have my key. They also do have a Bluetooth fob. Um, okay, that's where cool. I can have that instead of my key. Um, okay, I just 
find the key is thinner and I just find it easier that I don't actually have to do anything towards it. Mm. Just, I don't, I don't have to, that, that, that key is a one-off. Right. right. So you're, you're braver than me. I, you know, I, I like knowing when the doors are open and closed, but I've never trusted my home automation actually to open and close yeah. them for yeah. me, you know, lock and unlock them for me yet. So is this, I, I mean, I can see the attraction because it means if you've got someone who's visiting for a short while, you can effectively give them a key for a short period, can't you? If you have a cleaner or someone who comes in occasionally, then they can gain exactly. access, but only at certain times and so on. But, is this is it powered is it i mean do you have to wire it in or is it battery it's battery um and they're obviously the the key right. works as your fail safe the the physical key itself um but it uh from from everything i've written and i haven't I'm, i've only had it for a couple of weeks now i haven't had to cycle to actually go through one battery change or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but from everything everyone tells me it does give you enough of a heads up unless i'm out of the let's say I'm out of the house or I'm, I'm traveling or something for, I don't know, a month or two, uh, that then maybe I might run into those problems. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I don't, uh, it, it doesn't look like a lot of people have had those kind of issues just in, in, in the research I've done. Again, I haven't, I haven't been through that cycle yet. So, but if I'm traveling, I'll take a physical key with me as well anyway. So have you shared access with anyone or do you need to use an app or how does like access control work? Yeah, yeah. I I, I uh, decided to give my partner who lives with me. I decided to give her access to, to the to the to the keys. Oh, very nice of you. Very nice. Yeah. Right. I I, I thought so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she's uh, she's got access, um, and uh, I have given it to a friend of mine as well. Just uh, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't uh, popped by yet. So let's see. Okay. I know initially there were some concerns about uh, different uh, phone models and stuff actually being able to support the functionality. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that's still an issue, um, but let's. Uh, I, I guess I'll find out over time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd be very interested to see how you go. Yeah, the, the whole idea does make a lot of sense to me. You know, that you move into a new house or a new apartment or something and you have to, yeah. you know, you may want to change all the locks and things like It'd be nice if that were a thing of the Re-key. past. You basically, you know, show the new owner, here's the magic number you need, right? I no longer have access, you have access and all of that stuff. But it, yeah, it does take yeah, a certain amount yeah. of faith in the technology, doesn't it? <laughs> when you start saying, you can open my front door if this goes wrong. Well, know. exactly. And and it's nice too, because it's also got an audit log uh, of who's opened, who's closed, mm. unless you use a physical right. key, which in which case it doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, so, but, but, it, but that's, so one of the main motivations was actually that sharing key sharing uh, functionality, because I have, uh, you know, just, I have friends that pop by or whatever. And, and inevitably I'm always, whenever these guys come by, I'm either in the shower or I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the basement and don't hear or, or whatever <laughs> it is. Right. I'm, I'm otherwise preoccupied. Right. right. Um, so. Especially yeah. if it's minus 40 outside, you don't want them chilling outside too much. Well, and, and, and the other thing is too, <laughs> right? right. Cause sometimes, um, especially in the winter and stuff, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Right. So, uh, a lot of times, depending on who's coming by, they might actually come by while i'm still like let's call it during working hours so mm-hmm. uh you know i might be on calls until they and and i mean most of my friends have figured out that they can make themselves at home and go into the fridge grab whatever they want whatever anyways <laughs> so but but i just i this way i can at least just without having to run off from my video call with uh, yes, whether it's yeah. my customers or my colleagues or whoever it is i don't have to you know run up be like oh sorry guys hold on right so it it, it looks less professional as well so this way i can just kind of 
you know, yes, it's not in Home Assistant, but I can just pop open the app and press the button, and and yeah. and the range does does. Uh, I was actually surprised from inside how how long the range is. Um, okay. So I was actually pretty uh, pretty impressed. Yeah, I don't do I don't drive anything through Bluetooth that way because I just kind of assume that there would be too many bits yeah. of the house from which I couldn't access it. But you know, if it were a, if it were a Zigbee uh, a Zigbee door lock, that would be you know better. But I'm not sure that Zigbee. I don't know whether the Zigbee security stuff is better or worse than uh, than Bluetooth. I haven't looked into that. But yeah, I, I I don't know that any of them really have the best security. So you know. <laughs> All right. Well, Quentin, I think this brings us as a, a good chance to focus on you now. So I guess let, let's start off with the basics. We, we always like to find out how did you get into mm-hmm. Home Assistant or how, how long have you been using Home Assistant for and where did you start out? Yeah, well, I've been I, I, I've been playing with home automation. Well, not really home automation. I've had smart devices in the house for quite a long, for many years now. And we, we moved house about two, two and a half years ago. And in the old house, I had Hue lights and I had Sonos speakers and then this mm-hmm. Evo Home, this Honeywell heating system, which gives me individual control of each radiator. And that was all great. But I had one, one key challenge, which is that my, my wife basically doesn't carry a phone or she hasn't until fairly recently. She, uh, she never really carried her phone around. Uh, she certainly didn't do anything mm-hmm. adventurous like installing apps on it. So, um, Anything I put into the house had to be operatable just through like switches on the wall and and uh, uh, and something that didn't require you to to have a smartphone. So um, you know, I started buying Hue lights when mm-hmm. when you could actually get physical switches to go on the wall. And um, and the Evo Home heating system has a nice little control panel, much like a traditional heating system, and so on. So there was no need for a phone. Now, when I moved to the new house i had a lot more lights and a lot more space and i was thinking more about how you know what i might do here and and in particular there were some lights that yeah in the kitchen we've got like nine down lighters and if you work out how much that costs in hue bulbs if you're going to replace all of them it becomes it starts becoming quite expensive and i needed more motion sensors i've done it i i know yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, you know the you know the pain, right? So um, I, I had quite a lot of the hue motion sensors. That was about you know that was the thing that really got me actually in liking this. In the, just in the hallways and the stairways and so on, I realised that yeah, having the lights, having not to hit a light switch is a really good thing. So uh, who was it? Someone who said it might have been one of you guys said you know if if you still have to mm. press a switch, it's not really automation, is it? <laughs> it's it's like when motion sensors. I realised were were very important in this world. Um, but the Hue ones, even though they're very good, they're still right. fairly expensive. I can't remember what they are. They're like $40 or something. And so when I got into the new house, I thought, this is a bigger house. I'm going to need a lot of motion sensors here, and that's going to add up. So I was starting to think about, you know, could I use something else for that sort of simple uh, presence detection? Um so that got me looking around a little bit. Um, another thing I had had already tied into a little bit was um, – we had an Amazon Echo, and uh, I've got an electric car. I've got a, a BMW i3, and it, a friend nice. and I managed to sort of reverse engineer the unofficial API you know, fairly early on, so that uh, when I when I got my Echo, I could uh, I did a little skill so I could ask it, you know, what's the state of charge, or you know, what's what's the current range, and things like that, which was which was quite fun. Um, but um, I think 
Home Assistant has <laughs> this gateway drug, which is the SD card image for the Raspberry yeah. Pi, right? Because it <laughs> yeah. is so easy for most people to get started with that. And I, you know, I had I had a quick look at OpenHab, I think, because it had a sort of single click installer that I could put onto my uh, Synology box, but it didn't quite grab me. And I was reading more stuff around this, and it seemed to be that Home Assistant was where it was at. When I discovered, ah, oh, there's an SD card image. Yeah, I've probably got you know three or four Raspberry pies you know hanging around and i just plugged it into one of them and it was like oh i can see you've got hue lights would you like me to control those oh yeah okay mm -hmm. i can see you've got you know sonos speakers would you like me to control oh yeah and all of a sudden i had this really easy way to integrate stuff which i'd never felt a great deal of desire to do before but i suddenly started realizing I can yeah. buy these really cheap sensors now <laughs> and still control my Hue lights. And I can, so I think the first thing I did was actually, oh yeah, it, the REST interface um, thing, because I'd written this little skill for Alexa, uh, which talked to my service that talked to my car and that service had a REST interface. And so, you know, with a, in, in a, few seconds almost i could connect my home assistant to my car and do things like make the lights flash green That's when cool. it was fully charged and things like that yeah and this, this, <laughs> this was just too much fun and it, it really didn't take very long another thing one of my favorite um add-ons which uh or or um integration well you know what i always i always get the names wrong it's a it's a plug-in i guess technically um <laughs> Don't worry, we get it wrong too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's okay. um, Hue Sensor Advanced, right? I don't know if you use, but if you have, like I have, I've still got all my Hue lights and all my Hue sensors on the Hue Hub, right? And the Hue Hub has a nice mm -hmm. API for turning the lights on and off. And for fight, you can ask it the state of some of the sensors, but it doesn't kind of emit events when you press a button or when there's a motion sensor or whatever. And so what this plugin does is basically allow Home Assistant to pull the Hue Hub frequently and say, has a button been pressed? Has motion been detected? And this seems terribly mm. untidy that you keep hitting your hub repeatedly to do this, but actually it works really, really well. And it was probably almost the first plugin I ever installed. Is this a Home Assistant plugin? Yeah, yeah, Home Assistant plugin. It's called, I think, Hue Sensor Advanced. At least it is now. Uh, let me just see. I'm guessing it's in the, the community store that you can get it from then. It is in the community store now, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So if you have a Hue Hub... And you have Philips devices connected to it, sensors and switches and so on. Then you can use those as sensors in um, in Home Assistant and switches in Home Assistant. So I still have mm. my Hue World independent, um, just because it's always been very very reliable. And it's, um, you know, I like to think that if my whole home assistant world yeah. goes down, my wife can still turn the lights on and off. Um, so I have, I do have all sorts of separate Zigbee stuff that I drive from home assistant, but essentially it's interacting with the Hue system, which is the sort of, you know, base system for me. And there will come a point where I switch everything over to home assistant, but at the moment, um, is I do have two Zigbee meshes because I've got the Hue sure. stuff and I, and I've got a combi as well. Um, which I'm drawing through. So, so it just became kind of fun to realize, in particular, the all these really cheap Xiaomi 
uh, Zigbee sensors um, and all of the Tasmota, you know, the the, the mm-hmm. ESP8266 yeah. stuff that you could reflash. And I suddenly discovered that, you know, I could do things. I could control the other lights that weren't Hue lights. I could do this sort of stuff sure. far more cheaply than if I actually bought the Philips stuff. And don't get me wrong, I love I love the Philips Hue stuff. It's been so reliable. It's been it's been um, it's been brilliant. But you know. For things that aren't mission critical, where it's just kind of fun, um, you can do a great deal a lot more cheaply if you have Home Assistant in the mix, and it's so easy to get started with a Raspberry nice. Pi. So that was That's kind of awesome. how I got into it. One of the one of the other things I did with the car, by the way, is um, the the BMW key has this annoying annoying thing that if you press it, well, it's it's sometimes useful. If you press and hold the open button on the key, then the car sunroof opens and the windows open yes. and so on which is <laughs> yes. which is great unless you do it by accident so if you're sitting on the sofa oh, watching a movie no. and you're actually <laughs> sitting on your key and out outside yeah. your car yeah, is yeah, opening yeah. up right and then it rains overnight and you discover it in the morning so so one of the first things i did i actually had this before i had home assistant but it became very easy to do it in home assistant was just uh once an hour I get a notification if my car is unlocked or the windows are open or the sunroof's open. And so if I'm driving around, I occasionally get these notifications, but it's, um, but it does mean that I very rarely leave the the sunroof open overnight when it rains. Um, you could probably even tie it in somehow to a weather forecast. You sound like you've been burned by that before. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. I have got <laughs> in in the morning and found very wet seats, yeah. Oh, um, no. <laughs> so, and again, it's very easy to do. There's now a slight – well, I don't think it's an official API, but I, I don't use my my custom stuff anymore. There's the whole right. Bimmer-connected stuff for, for being – you know, which I, I think is, again, using an unofficial interface. But you can – so I can see things like, yeah, whether the doors are locked um, – what the range is, whether the car's right. charging, what the state of charge is, and so on, and that's all part of my home assistant display, which is kind of fun. So, um, so then I um, I was running this on a Raspberry Pi for a while. I moved it onto yep. a sort of Intel NUC type box. Actually, first first of all, I moved the database mm-hmm. onto my Synology to try and sp- which did speed it up a bit when that wasn't there. Then I moved the whole thing onto onto an Intel NUC and. To my surprise, it, it was a lot faster, but it became much less reliable. And I thought, you know, why was this? And I thought, you know, I really love this Home Assistant stuff. I'm just waiting to when it's really reliable enough to do um, to do what I wanted to do. And then I discovered actually it was a problem with the SSD in my in my uh, oh. my NUC. And uh, and when I replaced the SSD, <laughs> it, nice. it's been. It's been really solid since then, but you know, I, it, I, obviously, Home Assistant has also improved a great deal in terms of reliability in the, in, sure. in the meantime. But it was interesting that a dead SSD was the thing that was making me think this was this was actually unreliable, and it was a hardware problem in the end. So, wow! And then I started going a bit wild, and I, I bought lots of these Xiaomi sensors, and I bought a combi stick, and I bought Sonoff things and i um and i've had great fun there you know there's lots of stuff all over the house that's uh that's connected up and uh, and my wife is very tolerant of this but she doesn't touch any of it i don't think, i don't <laughs> think she's ever even spoken to my to the amazon echo except perhaps to say stop you know so she's uh, she's very tolerant <laughs> of my hobbies but she as long as it just works and she doesn't have to actually right. control it she's fine but but it does it does make me wonder about things like you know if 
if something ever happened to me, right? <laughs> I don't know if you guys have good solutions for this, but what's what's your recovery thing? What you know? Imagine you're away and you you know your significant other, or, or even you know you get coronavirus and <laughs> you have yeah. to go into a deep isolation somewhere else and so on. You know what happens if your box dies? What happens if your SSD dies or your power supply in your home assistant box dies? I think um, one one of you one of you running it on. Um, on Kerberos or on Docker Swarm or something like that? Is that Yeah. Does that yeah. give you redundancy <laughs> as well or is that just on one box? Uh so kind of. So yeah. So basically basically that, that was that was I was testing it uh in, in my quote unquote right. production environment. It's still a single single Docker instance. But but yeah in Swarm when you have a couple of boxes basically what happens is if you know uh box number one dies kind of box number two just Takes Swarm kind of goes yeah. oh Okay, and it and and it has the ability, and Kubernetes is the same, and so on and so forth. Um, I just i I got through this whole phase where I was like, okay, I'm not I'm not dealing with a bunch of stuff right now. I'm just I just want this to work. I got I got really busy and everything, so all of that stuff kind of got put to the side. But yeah, 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 yeah. There, there, there are mechanisms where you can uh, where you can do that. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure whether that would make it more or less. Uh more or less resilient in my in my absence yeah because uh, you then have to know how to operate that i mean i think this is an interesting challenge at the moment yes. everything i do i mean home assistant is more and more important to me but it's important in a kind of fun way rather than anything critical depending on it if my home assistant box is switched off everything still works you might have to press the button to make the light go on but it will yeah. still go on right you might have to you might not be able to ask the amazon lady to turn them on for you but yeah. nonetheless you, you and and the heating still works and so on and at a certain point you sort of switch over to it being actually critical to the way you you know your house operates and at that point it's you know you wonder what what would happen if anything happened to me or especially if you're not yeah. the only person who lives there well and 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 that's it right and it's like you said like having physical switches and and all that kind of stuff that's where that kind of stuff gets important right yeah. is from from a user for me it was more around the guest experience and uh, and and even for my partner for her to use it at first just to get her used to the idea of you don't necessarily need to press it uh-huh. that's what uh, uh, yeah. but I, I still have a friend who every time she comes over even though she's completely able to use everything manually she's like I don't know how this house works so I'm like, <laughs> like just press mm. press the light switch right. <laughs> Yeah. It's actually yeah. a, a pretty like it can be a pretty morbid topic, but uh, if you're interested, there is another Australian guy. His name uh, is Jonathan Oxer. He has uh, SmartHouse.tv. I think his YouTube channel is, and he has a whole bunch of stuff in his house that is, you know, every light switch is automated and and all that. And and he's actually tackling, you know, with a succession plan. You know, if he something was to happen to him, how you know, what what happens, right? Because obviously his family is going to have to inherit this house and, and how it all works. So I think he's gone yeah. to the point of level where he actually copies all firmware versions onto a USB stick, keeps, you know, instructions with all the lights. Um, so if an electrician comes in and needs to change a light in the future, there's instructions on what he did, you know, the wiring diagrams and all that. So uh, there's a YouTube video. I'll, I'll try and find it and leave it in the show notes. It's, yeah, pretty the way he he talks about it, you know, and he, you know, yeah. I think it's an important topic to to think about, you know, future planning. And to his yeah. credit, he, he's pretty open and frank with it, and and puts his ideas out there. 
Yeah, I mean, we 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 own this house. We're not renting, but there's also the the question of you know, if we sell the house, how much time do I actually mm-hmm. have to spend taking out all of the stuff or explaining it yeah, to whoever, yeah. whoever you know? Oh, well, there's this thing called an MQTT broker, and you're going to have to run one of those. And yeah, it's not yeah, really. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. No. So, <laughs> if I'm selling my house, I'm taking stuff with me. <laughs> you take it out. Yeah, exactly. Same here, I think. So so then I I started playing a bit. So I had a few. I mean, one of the um, automations that we use pretty much every single day, and there's one I sort of demo to people because it's kind of fun, is just in the evening we, you know, we finish eating and we usually go through and watch something, whether it be Netflix or a DVD or something like that. So um, I can tell the Echo it's movie time. And at that point, the mm-hmm. lights go down in the kitchen and the lights go down in the hallway and in the sitting room, the lights all go low and the ones that could reflect in the television get switched off and the temperature mm. goes up one degree and the and the TV turns on. And um, and then when we're finished, right, it's uh, I say movie time is over, at which point everything goes back to where it was before. And um and I've now got one of the little Xiaomi buttons, which does the same thing, actually. So if I don't feel like talking to the Echo to do this, I can <laughs> I can press a little button. And right, that right. makes you feel a bit less silly. But I used to just have those events run the, the automation directly, a little script directly. And in the end, what I did was... Um, the events, the button presses or the, you know, talking to Amazon, they set an input select. They do do a thing saying we're in movie time or we're not in movie time. Mm-hmm. And then it's the change of that toggle that actually triggers everything else. And so you can change that toggle in lots of different ways, but it also means you can use that as a state. So I can say, actually, don't turn off the lights on a motion sensor if it's movie time, you know, things like that. Yes, so, yes. So that's kind of fun. So that that's that's fun to to show friends. But actually, some of the automations I like have been very small things. Like in our bedroom, uh, the wardrobe was a bit dark. There are lights near the wardrobe, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but often, at least, you know, if one of us is asleep or or you know, first thing in the morning, you open the wardrobe doors. It's a bit hard to see what's going on in there. So. I've got a little door window sensor, one of the Xiaomi ones there. And when you open the doors, the light that's right near the wardrobe comes on. Uh, but none right. of the other lights in the bedroom. Mm. So if, if my wife's coming in late at night, you know, and it's just so easy to do, right? I already had a yeah. hue bulb in there for those little Xiaomi door window sensors are about, you know, $10 or something. And you just yeah. stick them on and write a few lines of YAML and, and you know, that's, that's actually been really useful. Um, or another one was um, up in the attic, up in the loft. We've got. Um, I had one of these old Lightify lights that I didn't actually use very much, but um, yeah. I thought, ah, oh, well, if I put it up there, um, it'll still work as a kind of Zigbee repeater. We had a plug socket in the loft, but we didn't have wiring for light switches and all of that stuff. So again, I just put one of these door window sensors on the loft hatch. So whenever you, whenever I get the ladder, because I need that yeah. for mine, and, and I open the loft hatch, this light comes on somewhere in the loft. And when I close the loft hatch, it goes off and there was no wiring or anything involved. And again, just the ease with which you can do mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, really, really, I thought was kind of fun. So so that's something that I've got a few more, you know, bigger projects I, I did. One of them was in one of the bathrooms. Um, We've got the standard thing of you pull the light switch, the light comes on, the fan comes on, and uh, after you leave, you turn the light switch off and the fan turns off a little while later on a timer. Right. And the trouble was that timer was 
too long. My my brother was staying with me and he told me that it had kept him awake for 25 minutes or something like that. So so I wanted to go and adjust the, the, the timer. Uh, and to do that, I have to get the ladder. I have to go up into the loft where the fan is. I have to go to the most inaccessible and dark area of the loft. I have to burrow through the glass fibre insulation to get to the, the fan motor. And then you unscrew the top and you take a very small screwdriver and you turn the and you turn the little a tiny little screw a certain amount and then you go all the way back downstairs and you turn the light on and you turn the light off and you wait you know 20 minutes and you discover oh no that's still too long and then you kind of repeat this and i thought yeah. this is too hard i ought to be able to set this time out this sounds like a hassle right yeah i ought to re- i ought to be able to do this in software so of course i then spent a day or something building a system that let me do this but basically i ended up with um two shelly uh devices up there one of which um controlled the lights uh, and one of which controlled the fan and um one of, and, and one of them is sensing the light pull right right and so firstly that let me control the timing on both of these but it also meant that i could do things like now when you go into the bathroom you turn the light switch on and two minutes later the fan starts so if you're just going in for a brief visit mm-hmm. or, you know, to clean your teeth or something like that, you probably don't need the fan. And then it turns off, you know, five minutes after the light is turned out. But that's something I can now control under software without um, without Running requiring up, oh, yeah, up, yeah. Up, up, up digging through the glass fiber and so on. So, so that's been very nice. And it does mean, of course, I can now turn it on with motion sensors and things as well if I want to. Though you start having to think, now, what's the right interaction here? So if you go into the bathroom and the motion sensor says, oh, okay, you're here and you've been here for a certain amount of time, then I'm going to turn the, 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 the fan on. And then you go out and you pull the light switch as you go out. You know, what are all the right interactions for, you know, mm. for how that should work? The sort of state yeah. machine you have to build up about, okay, so, you know, what do I mean by pulling a light switch now? Um, am I overriding the timers? Am I overriding the motion sensors? And thinking about that is, is, is quite complex. Um, which is why I think that this home automation stuff tends to be a very personal thing, right? It's so much yeah. about how you use your house. It's why it's very difficult to do it as a product. You know, the, the, some of the things, um i've done in the house are very much dependent on obviously the way we do it and if i were trying to design a generic product for people Mm -mm. i remember i was talking we had adam uh i was on his youtube channel and i I used the example of imagine you've got three identical houses uh you know they are on the same street they're identical layouts floor plans you can't automate them exactly the same way, you know, like one family yeah. might be, you know, an elderly couple that goes to bed at, you know, seven o'clock. The next family mm. might be just, you know, have four young kids and the next family might have a newborn and, you know, like completely yeah. different use cases, you know, what people might be staying home. Some people might be working full time. Like automations are so unique to yeah. not only yeah. people's houses, you know, what features they have in their houses, but also the people in the house as well the personality yeah 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 Yeah. and and so things like nest thermostats and so on are great i think it's the 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 concept of a learning system is great if you have a very learnable life right Mm -hmm. but yeah we we work on different places on different days of the week at different times and uh and that's uh that, that would be much harder for a thing to learn i did in the end get uh 
get to install an app on my wife's phone, which is the Home Assistant app, so we can do some of the geofencing stuff. So when she's working in the university, um, you know, the temperature in her study here goes down and the same for me. So, you know, the, the certain rooms are kept at different temperatures depending on whether we're working from home or working from uh, work, working elsewhere. Um, right. But this idea of personalization, I mean, one of the other things we've got is, uh, I mentioned earlier, is some of our window blinds are automated. At least we we have a we have motors on them and an app that controls them. Um, these are Rolies blinds, which work quite nicely, but aren't very easy to integrate with anything else. Um, they, there's no obvious API to talk to the hub or anything at the moment, but th- it mm. does have um, an RS four eight five serial interface on the back, so that you can integrate it with much more complex systems that are running Control Four and so on. So I wrote a little plugin or an add-on to be to be strict, which basically talked serial over this thing to, uh, and interface to home actually interface to MQTT, so I could then interface to it with Home Assistant, so I could right. make the blinds go up and down. So this is very cool. And then the question is. When do you want your blinds to go up and down? So we do those on timers usually or on on, on brightness um, when we're away as a security measure. But when we're here, it, what I ended up with was the blinds go down when the sun is about three or four degrees below the horizon, mm-hmm. which is about the right level of brightness for us. Except there are two windows that our dog really likes looking out of, even when it's dark. Right? <laughs> so, so on those windows, the blinds come down to about two feet from the floor and stop. And so the spaniel can keep looking out of the windows. <laughs> and at midnight, they go down the rest of the way. <laughs> and then in the morning, when do you want them to come up? And, you know, sometimes we, we wake up at different times, you know, at different levels. Of, you don't necessarily want them to start coming up when the sun comes up and so on. So, um, But again, our, our life is very varied. So what I now have is that in the morning, if the sun is up, and you start walking around, then the motion sensors cause the blinds to go up in the rooms in which you're walking around. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so again, it's very much tailored for for what works for us. But it's uh, have it, you it's done anything with uh, like the angles of the sun? Because I have my blinds automated, and for example, uh, depending on the time of year, uh, if it's uh, in the morning, the sun is shining in my uh, office. And yeah. where my screen is. So if the sun's at a certain angle and a certain elevation and my computer monitor turns on and the power starts drawing, I have the blinds come down so I can actually see the screen. Have you yeah, gone to that level see, you, No, no. You live in Australia. I live in England. We don't have sunshine here. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't get the sun. That's right. <laughs> That's right. At least not, you know, it's very, if the, if it's enough of a problem that we, that we, you know, we have to close the blinds, then, it, you know, we're, we're, we're out playing, right? It's, um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I mean, it could be actually, to be honest, I don't, when did I put this in? I think I got the integration going. It may actually be more recent. I'm not sure if I've been through a summer um, with these automated blinds. So mm-hmm. we might, we might end up doing something like that, but uh, no, at the moment I don't do that. So, uh, so that's, um, uh, that's still to come perhaps. Um, so and then another thing I, I did was, um, oh yeah, we've got an alarm system, which is just a standalone alarm, not, not you know, home assistant or anything. It's, you know, mm-hmm. a conventional security alarm. But I did want to know when it was armed and when it was disarmed. And yep. it it has some output relays, you know, outputs on it that you can use to turn on lights or, or sirens or whatever. And so um, I got a little... Um, 
ESP8266 baseboard and a couple of relays and so on and I rigged something up so that basically I used ESP Home for this um, so that so that essentially Home Assistant gets an input when the alarm is armed when it's disarmed um, or indeed if it detects an intruder so um, so so that's again I'm not controlling the security in any way through Home Assistant but I can actually get visibility on it you could use that to you know to to maybe make deductions about when somebody was home or not so oh yeah i think alarm panels are the best way to do presence yeah i think they might be though we we set ours we you know we don't always set it when we leave the house i probably shouldn't broadcast this but (laughs) we we do set it we do set it at night we do set it at night and uh, um so so yeah, so that was my only real time playing with esp home but that was that was very good fun what what about you guys do you use I've got a mix of Tasmotor and ESP Home here, and I haven't decided whether to to jump one way or the other on my other devices. Do you have experience on this? I am very anti-soldering, so I haven't yeah. bothered to <laughs> yeah. try and right. go down that path yet. I, I know, yeah. Rohan, you, you bought something. I don't know if you ever ended up implementing it. Uh, I never have because that actually requires me to do something. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's... It's it's uh, I I did get ESP eighty two sixty sixes because I wanted to build a uh, LED controller to have LED uh, LED lights around the house uh, and th- this is a project that I thought I wanted to do like four years ago that I still haven't done <laughs> right and and I and I still do want to do so <laughs> the the intention is still there yeah if the bits were more expensive you'd have you'd have more of an incentive actually to do it wouldn't it right but because they're they're cheap you think oh I'll do that sometime I'll get a couple and then they sit down. <laughs> yeah but I, I have got quite a yeah. lot of um, sort of Sonoff devices uh, mm-hmm. smart smart uh, plugs and things like that and in general I've flashed those with Tasmota though I could flash them with ESP Home and um, ESP Home gives you a lot more customizability in some ways, and it it links very easily into Home Assistant. But it does mean, I think, that you couldn't use it with anything other than Home Assistant. Whereas, right. or you'd need to reflash it if you were going to. Whereas, um, Tasmota just normally works through MQTT or a REST interface. So, you, if you did decide to switch to anything else, yeah, um, then uh, or if the person who bought your house after you decided to switch to something else, they could they could you know use MQTT. So that's. Uh, that's the reason I've done that, but yeah, which is which is which is a I don't know. I think it's a decent strategy. Right? So I, I have a question though. So mm. you you mentioned you mentioned you have a uh, let's call it a smart electric car, right? Yeah. It's got the BMW. Uh, what do they call it? Connected. Yeah, uh, yeah, BM, yeah, that's right. So so they call it Connected Drive, um, and there's yes. a Pyth- Python module called Bimmer Connected, which is. Um, which I think probably from people reverse engineering the website has has you know <laughs> yeah talks to the BMW servers and can do this um, and then there's a nice um, Home Assistant plugin which makes use of that underlying library yeah so so I can ask one of the things I get out of it actually is is location so when the car stops or yeah. starts or charges when it changes state it doesn't track it all the time but when there's a significant change of state like you stop or lock the doors or something then I think it reports its location so I do know when the car is at home and when it isn't and you can do things with that well which which leads to to actually part two of my question mm-hmm. which is so do you, do you start using it for presence do you start saying Okay, if car is home, then Quentin is home, or like. Yeah, I haven't done that much, and the only reason I haven't is that both my wife and I use the iOS app, and mm-hmm. it just works really well for us for presence. It does, and and yeah. um, 
since we're normally the only people coming in and out of the house and we normally have our phones with us and um, we do use this so we you know we turn the outside lights on when we get within about 100 meters of the house for example um, and we turn the heating down when we're at our respective other offices in a different part of town and so on but um, no I don't we presence to the extent that we do it other than that is really just uh, motion detectors in the house right if we right right um, right if there's someone moving around it might be the yeah. dog you know the dog does yeah. can do some of these things she's discovered the the, the lights go on and uh, <laughs> and go off when she walks around but uh, which is probably good for security as well um yeah. but but no we haven't done any more complex presence detection than that i did i did at one point start talking to my router and you know look at whether my phone was on the wi-fi network yep. and so on but really i haven't found the the need for it the ios app seems to work you know very well for what we need yeah, yeah. um and it also you know my wife usually cycles to and from work and so i have um i have a zone set up uh which is deliberately on the route that she normally takes when she's cycling home from work so i get a little notification from home assistant saying you know she's on her way home kind of thing so i know to go and unlock the door or whatever we might need to do <laughs> right, right right turn the oven on whatever it may be so yeah yeah to turn off the playstation turn off that's, the that's right yeah pretend yeah, i'll yeah. be working really hard <laughs> yeah, all day. yeah 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 so <laughs> and then there have just been a few other things like you know um, the university computing department where I work um, some of the time it, um, has a weather station on the roof, which has been recording, you know, the weather here for 25 years or something. And I discovered that you could that I could basically pull the the, the latest weather from there just as a text file. And um, and so I wrote a little home assistant plugin, which is very, very specific. If you happen to live <laughs> in Cambridge, England, <laughs> you can get you can get the um, uh, the the current weather, which is actually more accurate than than dark sky or even the, the government um, meteorological office. So that that works very well for us. Nice. That's nice. I am interested in this idea of um, reliability. I mean, it's so so Home Assistant has been very reliable for me uh, recently since I worked out that it was my hardware problem. But yeah, there at a certain point, I'm going to start saying I really don't need this Hue Hub anymore. For example, at the sure. moment, I've got mm. two Zigbee networks. I, yeah, actually, I think Phil, you were saying you'd had some trouble with Zigbee. I I've, I haven't. It's always been really, really solid for me did you manage to sort out those issues or yeah since moving to the decons i have a solid single zigbee network i did have i was running three zigbee networks because the cc2531 their range was just terrible i couldn't get them to mesh with like zigbee 10 qtt wouldn't mesh with a lot of my downlights which my downlights are everywhere in the house so they're not being you know being able to be used for meshing just meant that there was no range on the network. Moving over to decons, I now can use those bulbs to mesh correctly and I have full range everywhere. So I've been able to get rid of everything else except for that. Yeah, I mean, it's always worked very well for me. I do have, I have these two Zigbee networks, which is, which is a pain because I've got, you know, probably 30, maybe even 40 Hue bulbs now around the house. Mm -hmm. So they, they make a really good mesh, and all of my other stuff is not on, on that mesh. And, and when I do eventually combine them, it'll be like the most awesome Zigbee mesh. But um, one thing I did discover was that I I think I had, at one point I had some serious overlap between my Wi-Fi channels and my Zigbee channels. 
because they're all in the 2.4 gigahertz yeah, space. And if you can work out which Zigbee channels overlap with which Wi-Fi channels, and I've now been fairly careful to say, I'm going to use Wi-Fi on these channels, I'm going to use Zigbee on these channels, right. and and, um, and that just means that it, it's been much more reliable for me. And, you know, I just throw that out there in case anyone else is struggling with the same thing. You have to go and look up. I did a blog post on this about what the different Zigbee channels are that overlap with which Wi-Fi channels, but you can find it in various places. And, uh, mm. and it can be worth, um, worth, you know, fixing that rather than having them each try and do it automatically. Um, and then I got, I got Unify base stations, which, are, which are great. And they, um, and so I've got a few of those around the house. And the, mm-hmm. uh, the problem is that they're really good at making the most of your Wi-Fi bandwidth. And they, if you let them auto select the channels, they do a great job of it for Wi-Fi, but that means they take up all of the 2.4 gigahertz space. Yeah. And I actually had to restrict them a bit and say, actually, no, come on, leave this little bit free. I want to use that for Zigbee. <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's, um, it's worked very well. And for the the Zigbee network that isn't Philips, I've got some of those. Um, I think I may have heard it on the podcast. IKEA do Zigbee repeaters. It's a Tradfree. Yeah, I don't, the Tradfree I don't know how you pronounce Tradfree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's a really cheap place to get, you know, little Zigbee repeaters that are discreet mm-hmm. and just plug into the wall. And, and as a way of extending Zigbee range, that's worked very well for me as well. So. Yeah, yeah. I love their little uh, little bulbs. So. You're right. I haven't tried any of their other Zigbee stuff, but this this works very nicely as a, as you know it paired easily with ZHA and my combi stick. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's that that's working very nicely. Um, I guess one thing I haven't really got into on Home Assistant is you know switching back into doing everything through the GUI. I I, I still like doing stuff through YAML, and I think you guys probably do too. But is do you think you're gonna? Yep. Is this a trend that you're gonna go back to to GUI stuff as it gets more powerful? Yeah, uh, it, I so for me, I want to say yes, mm. but I have a really, I don't want to say it's a nice workflow. Let's call it a comfortable workflow that I have right now uh, through Git and through all of this stuff um, that I'm, I'm it, it's a comfort thing, right? Yeah, you get version control, right? If you start doing everything mm. through the GUI, how yeah. do you, I guess you can yeah. have snapshots probably, they, they capture it, don't they? But Yeah, and, and, and it's the most illogical reason why I'm not, moving to full-blown Lovelace, um, mm-hmm. I think, and, and and don't get me wrong, there are a couple of things that Lovelace can't do yet, right? Um, yeah. But does that affect me a ton? No, but uh, it, it's just a comfort thing. I just got used to doing it this one way, so now that's just the way I'm doing it. And if you, if you edit the automations in... Um in the GUI, you lose any comments you might have had in the YAML. I think they re-edit the YAML, don't they? And so, so you know, I like putting lots of comments in. <laughs> One of the great oh, yeah. things about YAML is you can stick comments in in a way that you can't normally do with JSON or something. I like think that. they may have and, fixed uh, that and, in a in one of right, the versions. Right. So, yeah. Okay, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to do to 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 read in the YAML, yeah. edit it, and write it out again without losing the mm-hmm. comments. So if they have, that would be kind of impressive. But yeah, I I, I, I'm still doing the YAML thing all the way through, and I you know I, I I use YAML in a variety of different scenarios. So I guess I'm I'm familiar with it from you know outside the Home Assistant world, very familiar with it. So it's it's very easy for me. But I do I do wonder whether we'll see everybody switching over. the The trend definitely seems to be in that direction. But there are things I think you do miss if you. Um, if you go to editing it through the GUI, I haven't done, I haven't, I haven't jumped yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah so so anyway lots of fun no no very big project so though you know um getting the i was very pleased with getting the window blinds talking to it because that involved soldering and it involved rs485 which i had to learn about and it involved, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know my first bit of async python 3 code and it involved you know all of this stuff but actually it works very nicely now and um and uh, at least it did until about three days ago when my my Rolies hub died and it was oh, only no. when so so i need to go and get another one of those i think it should still be under warranty but it made me realize how much i liked it right it's when this stuff goes away that you realize oh no i actually was relying on this uh much more than i thought so um it's uh this stuff does you you know after a while you you think oh yeah of course the lights the lights turn on when i walk into a room and then you go somewhere where they don't and you find oh god how primitive (laughs) (laughs) well it's cool because it starts changing your entire mindset of let's call it life (laughs) right like it's it's uh yeah it is it is it's definitely a drug it is a drug, and it's and it's great fun, and it's not too expensive a drug usually, and it's um, well, as drugs go, <laughs> it can be, it can be, as yeah. drugs go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you speak from experience, I. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, but it, uh, and particularly, you know, it's, uh, it is, it can be a very creative process, right? You are you are positively affecting your living space in a way that gives you satisfaction and a sense of creativity and a sense of accomplishment. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think it's great fun. And, uh, you know, maybe when we're all isolated with, you know, coronavirus and we have to stay home, we can all spend a lot more time, you know, tweaking our automations to, uh, to make our living space even more yeah. customized yeah. to us. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Quentin, thank you so much for taking the time and, and joining us. You've got a, a really cool setup. I'm, I'm, I'm loving all your interesting use cases and having to go up into lofts and get timers working the way you wanted it yeah it, it, it's it's lots of fun yeah, and, and and can i say on behalf of everyone as well thank you very much to you guys i mean you i think this podcast is one of the the really great aspects of the community and and you make it look effortless but i know that there's a lot of work um that goes on behind the scenes here to make this all go as smoothly as it does and it's it's very much appreciated um i oh, thanks, a man. lot of my dog walks you know i usually Thank listen you. to this while walking the dog and and uh and knowing what all the breaking changes are and what i'm gonna have to fix when i get home and so on is is you know it's it's a very nice and easy way to keep up to date with what's going on so thank you very much it's really appreciated no thank you appreciate that that's great yeah. thank Thanks for having me on. It's been great fun. Quentin, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. It's been really good fun. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.